and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Independence Day. Yes, I'm wearing the red, white, and blue as we do our annual commemoration of America's birthday here on the Steve Day Show live on demand here on the Blaze Radio TV and Podcast. I'm Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. And then we are checking out after today for a long holiday weekend like many of you are going to have as well. We won't see you again until next Tuesday. 888-900-3393 is the number. That's 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the program. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace. Show. We've got a lot going on here today as we are going to spend the next two hours looking at America's legacy and and maybe maybe talking about her future as well. Now, a lot of the things and themes we call American exceptionalism really come out of what is called Western civilization. And that's really the roots of a lot of, of, of the inspiration that our founding fathers received, the best that Western civilization had to offer for more than a millennia. Of course, it's under attack. One of the reasons why it's under attack is too many Americans are kind of ignorant of, of the roots of American exceptionalism and Western civilization. And that's why Glenn Beck and some of the VIPs here at The Blaze are putting together this cruise through history next spring. It's a 14-day adventure where you can come walk where Jesus and the prophets walked in the Holy Land. You can visit Italy, Greece, and Croatia uh, with uh, a ton of who's who VIPs here at The Blaze. Uh, And you'll get some some cool nightlife and, you know, water, all the fun stuff, the the fine cuisine and everything else. All right, this is an all-inclusive trip, so it includes airfare and gratuities, and it comes out to about $360 per day. So you just need to put down a deposit, and then you can pay the rest over time and there's an early bird discount of $400 right now if you go to comesailaway.com that's comesailaway.com and now with a little 4th of July flavor here's Aaron with what happened while we were away what happened while we were away brought to you by the same crap I cover every day in the montage. Instead of recapping that crap and maybe even taking a macro view at the decline and fall of Western civilization on this Independence Day special, I thought, you know, why don't we just read the Declaration of Independence? In Congress, July 4th, 1776. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government, laying on its foundation such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them 
Chelsea most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and provide new guards for the future security. Such has been the patient sufferances of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over the states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. He has refused to assent to laws, the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. He has forbidden his governments to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance unless suspended in their operation till his assent should be obtained. And when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend to them. He has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people unless those people would relinquish the right of representation in the legislature, a right inestimable to them and formidable to tyrants only. He has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing with manly firmness his invasions of the rights of the people. He has refused for a long time after such dissolutions to cause others to be elected, whereby the legislative powers, incapable of annihilation, have returned to the people at large for their exercise, the state remaining in the meantime to expose to all the dangers of invasion from without and convulsions within. He has endeavored to prevent the population of these states for that purpose, obstructing the laws of naturalization of foreigners, refusing to pass others to encourage their migrants hither, and raising the conditions of the new appropriations of lands. He has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers. He has made judges dependent on his will alone for the tenure of their offices and the amount and payment of their salaries. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. He has kept among us in times of peace standing armies without the consent of our legislatures. He has affected to render the military independent of and superior to the civil power. He has combined with others to subject a jurisdiction foreign to our constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, giving his assent to their acts of pretended legislation, for quartering large bodies of armed troops among us, for protecting them by mock trial from punishment for any murders which they should commit on the inhabitants of these states, for cutting off our trade with all parts of the world, for imposing taxes on us without our consent, for depriving us in many cases of the benefits of trial by jury for transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses, for abolishing the free system of English laws in a neighboring province, establishing therein an arbitrary government, and enlarging its boundaries so as to render it at once an example and fit instrument for introducing the same absolute rule into these colonies, for taking away our charters, abolishing our most
most valuable laws and altering fundamentally the forms of our governments. For suspending our own legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. He has abdicated government here by declaring us out of his protection and waging war against us. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lands of our people. He is at this time transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the works of death, desolation, and tyranny already begun with the circumstances of cruelty and perfidy scarcely paralleled in the most barbarous ages and totally unworthy the head of a civilized nation. He has constrained our fellow citizens taken captive on the high seas to bear arms against their country to become the executioners of their friends and brethren or to fall themselves by their hands. He has excited domestic insurrections amongst us and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers the merciless Indian savages whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Nor have we been wanting in attentions to our British brethren. We have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our emigration and settlement here. We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity, and we have conjured them by our ties of common kindred to disavow these usurpations which would inevitably interrupt our connections and correspondence. They, too, have been deaf to the voice of justice and consanguinity. We must, therefore, acquiesce in the necessity which denounces our separation and hold them, as we hold the rest of mankind, enemies in war, in peace, friends. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress, assembled, appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do, in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these United Colonies are, and of our right, ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British Crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved and that the free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Wow. Aaron's Montage brought to you by Riduzone, which wants to help you finally win the battle over your bulge. And it could be this missing link called OEA. It's a signal that goes from the gut to the brain to say when you're done eating, when you're full, that helps your metabolism to then do its job and your body and your nervous system to then do its. Unfortunately, for too many of us, uh, that signal just isn't as strong as it needs to be or it used to be. And that's where Riduzone comes in. Not loaded with a bunch of chemicals, stimulants, or caffeine. All Riduzone wants to do is just put the OEA back in your body like your creator nature intended if you want to give it a shot use my name steve as a promo code to get a special offer when you go to the website riduzone.com that's r-i-d-u-z-o-n-e for riduzone.com later in our annual independence day show today we're, we're going to do a deep dive on the structure and wording 
of what Aaron just shared with you and and why I think this is one of the greatest works ever written in human history. And when you start ranking things outside of direct divine revelation like the scriptures, this ranks really high on the list. And it's it's almost a perfectly logical treatise. Um, and it says more than I think we even are aware of what it says. Because some of the terms and some of the references and some of the structures of the sentences, you know, are from the 18th century. So we're going to do a deep dive on the wording of the Declaration of Independence itself. But for this portion of the program, as we take a look and, and react and respond to the words of Thomas Jefferson that Aaron just shared with us, how relevant are these words to what we are facing in order to conserve for this and future generations, this last best hope for freedom east of Eden? And then, and then how relevant are those words to the average American today? whether they realize it or not. Todd, I'll start with you. Oh, well, they're utterly relevant. I, I mean, I am I'm, I regularly talk about the fact that we're in a civil war, but it's mostly in a de facto sense, uh, one that way in ways that most people don't realize, and it's largely uh, reactive. But y you are... You go through that line by line and reminded of uh, some of the parts that you are normally quoted, but you you you, you can't help but uh, escape the fact that if you are paying any attention to to the way things are going in terms of America and the government and how it's meant to function, we 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 should proactively be in a civil war right now. The the usurpations are at the same level of the same kind as they were back then. The worldview uh, of those men back then simply understood was at, at stake. And, and as you said, the whole crux of the matter, Steve, is whether we understand it or not. We, we don't understand uh, right now, and it is the gated community effect. We, we are simply too wealthy, we have too much right now to understand mm -hmm. Uh, uh, or, or are simply too distracted by that to care that we are every bit as much in jeopardy of losing uh, that which makes any man or woman truly free as we were back then. And I mean that every bit as much. Let's cut our time period a little bit of slack, though. I agree with what you just said, but... Let's not overly romanticize the generation that ratified those words 200 and, what is it, 43 years ago now? They didn't just get to this point upon being immediately threatened. It, it took years. Years. Multitudes of years. This, this for them in a time where even though life expectancies were much shorter than they are today, time went by um, even slower. They didn't have, you know, instant news cycles and all the technology that we have at our fingertips today. And so even, even with that in mind, it, it still wasn't until they were pushed to the final brink that they came 
to this place. And they came to it begrudgingly. And, and that's a generation of men who were sinners too. Some of the men who assented to these words went home and owned slaves, including the guy who wrote this document. But they also weren't polluted by Nietzsche, um, Jung, Freud, Darwin, um, Bertrand Russell. They had no idea what postmodernism was. They barely knew in this in, in the 18th century what modernism was. So even with without all of the stigmas that we are dealing with culturally in our time, they still did not rise to the occasion historically until they felt as if they had no choice. And and then you're going to find out later in this hour that the vote to do that, even when they came to the brink, was on a razor's edge. So I agree with everything you said, Todd, but I want to make sure that we recognize the same stuff that was in them, good and bad, is also in us. They read more Locke and Hobbes. They read more Bastiat. Okay? Oh, actually, he came after them. But the same stuff that was in them is in us. The same frailties, weaknesses, temptations. And, and look what they were able to do when they recognized that and rose to the occasion. I think the lesson of history is if these guys could do it with all of their maladies, temptations, hypocrisies, etc., I think so can we. So I, I don't, if, and if we didn't believe that, why are we, we, we wouldn't be coming in here and doing that today, right? I mean, we would have quit this job a long time ago or done this show a totally different way. So it's not going to be easy. I mean, 50, 56 men signed that, signed that declaration on this day 240 some odd years ago. And those last words, pledging, pledging their lives, fortunes, and sacred honors, many of them had to literally live up to those words. Because see, now that is the difference. What is the cost we're willing to pay? What is this really worth to us? That, Aaron, I believe, is the challenge for our era. Yeah, and I said I was doing something different from the montage today. It's really not different when it came to the train of abuses, because that's basically what the montage is pretty much every single day. And it was striking. I mean, all of us here have read this multiple times, read this document multiple times. And hopefully, if you're in our audience, you've read it multiple times as well. But it is striking, as I was reading through that as in preparation for this, how many... How many of those long train of abuses and usurpations by the tyrant King George have an analog to modern day? Almost oh, yeah. all of them. Almost all of them do. Um, and, and that should be a huge wake-up call. Now, with the caveats that you just shared, Steve, that they were, just because they fought and won a revolutionary war does not mean they were any more or less immune to the human condition than we are today. But it should be a wake-up call 
that they were willing to go to war over that. I think Todd's point, I don't want to put, put, the, in, uh, put words in his mouth, that I'm not sure how many people are actually willing, actually believe that. I mean, we're willing to get mad. We're willing to have our Howard Beale mad as hell and can't take it anymore moments. But are we really... Or do we have the courage of conviction? I'm not saying to get your muskets and go out and start shooting redcoats. Do we have that type of, of courage of conviction? And what we try to do is wake people up uh, every day on the show and maybe give them the tools rhetorically to fight so that way they can pop off with the verbal bullets, uh, if you will, instead of real ones. But if it comes to the time where we are backed into that corner, is there go- are there going to be enough people? Who have that courage of conviction? I'll let you answer that for yourself. You talked about the modern day par- modern day parallels. I believe the, the the grievance that is mentioned the most in in those long trains of usurpa- of abuses and usurpations that Jefferson references have to deal with have have to do with the abuse of the judiciary. I think that's mentioned in three or four different contexts in. Uh, in, in Jefferson's itemization there. Do we have any parallels with that in in our day and age now? Un poquito. Yeah, maybe a couple. And, you know, the, the argument that, that Jefferson is primarily making against the judiciary of, of his era is that England at the time was supposed to be a two-branch government. You had parliament and you had the king. But in essence, it was a one-branch government. Parliament could not do anything without um, permission of the king. So the king had dominion over the parliament, and then the, the judiciary served directly under the king. So parliament had no way to check and balance a king, and then the king controlled who got appointed uh, and for how long to the judiciary. So you hear a lot of, of leftists say today that, you know, um, they believe in an independent judiciary. Well, like with much of progressivism, words don't mean what they're supposed to mean. See, when Jefferson is writing about an independent judiciary, what he's writing about is a branch that is separate from the other branches of government in order to ensure and secure the freedoms and liberties of the people. Meaning that you have another era area of government to go to. Another, another place where your public servants can hear your grievances and serve your interests. When you hear progressives talk about an independent judiciary today, they don't mean a, a branch that's independent of the others in order to carry out the people's will. They mean a branch that is independent of the people's will. That's what they mean. And that's why you have a, a superior over the other two branches, judiciary. I've even, you'll even hear people say we, we have separate but equal uh, branches. We don't. That's not true either. But I, I tend to not correct it because it would be such a huge upgrade over the situation we currently have that as I get older, I'm learning if at first you don't succeed, lower your standards, okay? But the judiciary branch was created to be the weakest of the three branches. You can read the Federalist Papers from the founders. They lay this out in Federalist 78, Federalist 81, among other places, that 
in exchange for this not being a branch directly accountable to the people via the vote, in order to stop it from becoming an oligarchy, they give it they gave it the least amount of power. Does that sound like the judicial branch that we have today? Does that even sound like the judicial branch that's articulated from much of what's called conservatism today? Well, gentlemen, I think we know the answer to that. And that that is part of the lost legacy here. And it and it's why, Todd, the weakest of the three branches we have is now by far the prime branch. It is the most superior of the other three branches. And if you want or the other two branches, and if you want further confirmation, what I'm telling you is right. What is the only branch that relies on all the other two for all of its infrastructure? meaning its personnel and its funding is totally at the mercy of the other two branches. Do you know which branch it is? It's the judiciary. Its personnel is appointed by the executive. Its funding and 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 it's the confirmation of its appointings is done by the legislative branch. That right there tells you what the founders meant to happen. And yet, the overriding issue, most people who still believe in the Constitution... The overriding issue that causes them to vote in most elections is what? Judges. Judges. Judicial appointments. Does it seem like your founders wanted to replace a monarchy with an oligarchy? No? Well, we're back to the challenge that Todd issued a few minutes ago then. We're not a nation of laws, and we never have been. We're a nation of political will, and we always will be. So do you want to know why these unhinged pagan justices put their thumb on the scale and their boot to your throat without batting an eyelash or without any shame? Because we're letting them. Do you have another answer other than that? Well, nope. we're, uh, I mean, I can... We're allowing the usurpers in Congress to allow them to do that. Correct. Correct. That's the, that's what would happen if Donald Trump said, I'm not going to obey your order on the border. I'll tell you what would happen. All the same people in the media who hate him now would hate him still. All the same squish Republicans who can't be relied on now couldn't be relied on still and the vast majority of the American people who are just sick and damn tired of their government working for every interest other than theirs would applaud am I wrong God, I hope not and I don't think you are I don't think I am so then why doesn't he do it there's a lack of will there's just a lack of will the other side is willing to do whatever it wants to you however it wants whenever it wants and doesn't care what you want. They act on their will. Too often the people that represent us do not. We can't devise a system that accounts for lackadaisical conformity. They're, you know, this is John Adams, you know, a government only for a moral and religious people territory. When we are just willing to roll over, there, there is no reform for that. But the only thing standing in the way of restoring this republic 
is our willingness to restore it. And for too many of us, restoring the republic is, well, I voted re Republican last time. I watched Fox News tonight. You know, if you want an idea of what it's going to take to restore a republic, you probably, Todd, need to look at history and see what it kind of took to establish one in the first place. And it's going to take a very similar level of conviction. Well, um, I go back to where I started. It, it's not a level of conviction uh, we currently have. It's not a level of conviction we desire. Uh, we, we, I have just you go down into the ma the micro setting around real people, and any time the casual turns into something like this, uh, you're the boat rocker, uh, you're the one who can't play nice. Uh, they, they, if if they were confronted by the founding fathers, they would be the ones uh, who were the the dregs of the party. Uh, you have all kinds of very, very successful and smart people who optically look like they have everything. And they really, at the end of the day, you find out the more you talk to them, they have nothing and they're happy with that. They don't, they just don't care. They, they, their li entire lives are on cruise control and they owe uh, posterity nothing. Nothing. They believe Obama's thing. We are the people we've been waiting for. And as long as they think that, man, they ain't. So the challenge before us, if we seek to conserve this thing called American exceptionalism for this and future generations, the challenge before us isn't the left, isn't a milquetoast Republican Party, and that's being kind. But it's a holiday, so I'm trying to be nice. It isn't out-of-control judges. The challenge is us. What are we willing to do about those things? You know, one person can make a huge difference. The story of America confirms that. We're going to share that story with you when we come back. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network. You know, a lot of our lifestyles today are just uh, so busy and, and therefore driven so much by needed convenience that a lot of the whole foods that nature and our creator uh, gave us in order to help keep our bodies healthier longer just aren't in there anymore. That's one of the reasons why we're using so many supplements. What does that mean? Well, that term means we have to supplement the things that we should be eating because we're not and, and put those key nutrients, minerals, vitamins back into our body. That's where Field of Greens comes, comes in from our friends at Brickhouse Nutrition. Uh, it tastes great. Doesn't have a ton of sugar. In fact, I don't think it has any. And it's a great way to drink uh, your fruits and vegetables each day with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables. That means all the antioxidants, the immunity boosters, the prebiotics, the probiotics that are good for your digestion. That's one of the biggest immunity systems in your body is in the gut. All of those are in there with just one scoop of Field of Greens. You mix it with any water-based drink and it tastes great. It's a great way to trick your kids into drinking their vegetables. And you can try it right now for 15% off of your first order when you use my name, Steve, at BrickHouseSteve.com. Again, it's called Field of Greens, promo code Steve at BrickHouseSteve.com. So a question I get a lot from you in the audience, what can I do? 
I hear you guys. I'm frustrated. I'm convicted. I'm just one person. How much difference can one person make? Get that question sometimes? Oh, quite a bit. Yeah. And I, I understand it. I mean, I have a pretty substantial platform at my disposal. I feel helpless sometimes. I have, I, sometimes I wonder, I mean, is anybody, is this thing on? Is anybody listening? <laughs> you know, I totally understand that. This is, again, why conservatism is an observational science. Why we objectively look back through history to see what, what can history teach us about the best way to confront the future. And there is one rather unique story from American history. A man by the name of Caesar Rodney from the state that was the first to ratify the U.S. Constitution, Delaware. And his story proves the difference that just one person can make. Watch this. All in favor? All opposed? That was only a straw vote to see where we stand. Well, only Delaware and Pennsylvania stand against the independence resolution. But in order to adopt it, the vote must be unanimous. The actual vote will take place tomorrow morning. Until then, we are dismissed. Rat! If only Caesar Rodney of Delaware were here, he'd vote with us and bring Delaware to our side. Caesar Rodney is bedridden. Wait a minute. James, could you and Moses race to Delaware to visit a sick friend? If it's thieves, I'm alone. You'll only have me to rob. We're not robbers. Ah, then you've come to escort me to the next world. No, just Philadelphia. That's a far cry from heaven. Dr. Franklin sent us. With news of the independence resolution? The vote is tomorrow, and your vote is very important. Help me out of bed, gentlemen. Wouldn't it be better if you rode in the carriage with us? Speed is everything. Thanks again, fellows. <laughs> Sounds bad. We'd better try to keep up with him. I don't understand why you wouldn't let us take it. Now you've seen a real hero. <laughs> Daddy Rodney. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to make it inside. Oh. 
as I believe the voice of my constituents and of all sensible and honest men is in favor of independence, my own judgment concurs with them. I vote for independence. It's unanimous. The resolution on independence passes. So what you see there in that story, Caesar Rodney, I know there he's depicted there as being elderly. The night that he made that overnight ride, and yes, he was at home very sick. He went home from the Continental Congress because he was very ill. He did make that overnight ride, just as it's depicted there in the Liberty's Kids cartoon. Um, a cartoon cannot do justice the danger he was willing to endure in order to make such an overnight ride in those conditions from Delaware to Philadelphia. But he's depicted in that cartoon there as being ancient. Do you know how old he was the night that he made that ride? 40. Hmm. 46 years old. Do you know how old I will be in 25 days? <laughs> 46 years old. He died at the age of 55, spent much of his latter years sick in and out of bed. When he was not in bed, he was he was directing the Dover the, or the Delaware militia to protect the state against British insurgencies until the very end of the Revolutionary War which didn't end until 1783. He died a year later. He was barely able to enjoy the fruits of his sacrifice. The reason his vote was so important is the 13 colonies each sent three-man delegations to the Continental Congress. The famous line from Benjamin Franklin, we shall either, either all hang together or hang separately, was in reference to what you see John Hancock in that cartoon say. The vote must be unanimous. Now, what it meant by unanimous was every state or colony had to vote to become a state. There could be no holdouts. So either they hang together or they hang separately. They were either going to be the United States or they were going to remain British subjects. The previous 12 colonies had all had either a unanimous or majority vote from their individual three-man delegations to vote for independence. The one holdout, Delaware. Its two-man delegation was split. Therefore, either Caesar Rodney was able to make it in to vote at the time the roll was called, or the vote would be to not declare independence. You have as much as anybody else. You and I have one man to thank for the freedom and liberty we get to enjoy this day and all the days since that day. And that is a bedridden, sick stricken 
Delaware military man slash lawyer who made an all-night ride. You've Everybody's heard of Paul Revere's midnight ride. But the most important midnight ride that was made in that era was the ride made by Caesar Rodney that night. And he was the final vote to give birth of a nation. And that's proof, gentlemen, that one person can make a difference. And we wanted, we wanted to talk about this today on our annual Independence Day commemoration and share this with you because we know that we do challenge and push back and lean on you more than most shows do. And, and it's because, at least we hope it's because, you might have a different opinion, but we hope it's because it's in recognition of what's at stake, that we don't want to lose this thing on our watch. For all of its thought, for all of its faults, this thing we call America is still by far the best thing going here on this third rock from the sun right now. Amen. 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 But I thought today, and this is why the last few years I've done this show, I have set aside time to tell the story of Caesar Rodney. Because if we're gonna if we're gonna try to challenge you in the audience. To rise to the occasion. Then we need to inspire you at the same time that it can be done. And Caesar Rodney's story, and, and by the way, our history is littered with stories like this. The War of 1812 was basically won. Because shortly after the Brits burned down the original White House and laid fire to Washington, D.C., and right when it looked as if they were going to conquer this nascent country called the United States of America, a sudden, devastating set of thunderstorms and tornadoes hit that area, forcing the Redcoats to delay their final offensive assault. If that had not occurred, we might either be Tories or Labor right now in 2019 all right so our history is littered with this 12 apostles changed the world 56 signers of the declaration changed the world they weren't made of any special stuff they were human beings with a firm reliance on divine providence There is no reason at all we can't follow in their footsteps, gentlemen. No, and we have become seduced um, by having the federal government. I mean, one of the usurpations that the federal government has accomplished is by is psychologically making us believe that that's the end all and be all. Uh, we, we, we've had that conversation with uh, Shannon Joy on her show, how much focus to give the federal government. It has, it has its place and therefore must be reined in accordingly. But our, our much of our uh, psychology as it uh, applies to government should be right here at home. Run, I tell you what, if you share our principles... If you're not still wandering through it, if you feel like you have a firm grasp of them, uh, perhaps not to host a show, but you're, you're, you're on board, I run for school board. 
even if you don't have kids in that school just uh, you know currently run for school board you will come across the issues of uh, liberty over and over and over again right there and it's a great place uh, to start I, I, I just I, but you're going to have to get past the notion of uh, it has to be way more than a philosophy it has to have boots on the ground that uh, other other than that, that we're just like it's a hobby it, it, it can't be that it must not be that uh, Caesar Rodney proved uh, to the point of confronting death's door. It must not be that. Do you think the founding fathers, I'm, I'm just asking a question here because I'm not sure what the answer, maybe you guys can eliminate me. Do you, do you think that the founding fathers, Caesar Rodney included, um, did they have uh, a mother and father? Did all of them have a mother and father at some point? I would suppose so. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that their mother and father probably had a lot to do with the way they were educated, the way their worldview was formed, their their fortitude, their you know passion for liberty that they held. I, I'm I'm I think it'd probably be safe to say that that's the case. So, what can one person do if you got kids? And again, this is coming from somebody who would like to have. Uh, children uh, of his own someday, but I don't. But if you've got kids, how much can one person do? Uh, raise them right. Hmm. That's that, that's a pretty that's a pretty good place to start. Um, I mean, it is kind of along the lines of of what Todd says. I mean, you if you are given that gift by God of having of having children, it is a gift, but it's also a huge, huge again coming from somebody without kids responsibility as well. But it's an opportunity for you to shape and mold somebody, even if you are not in the p- place right now to make a so-called midnight ride or a middle of the night ride to Philadelphia, 80 miles. You are still in a position where you can maybe raise somebody who, when the time is called and when they are called upon, they will know exactly what they need to do. Here's, here's what that could look like for each of us. Were you that parent that when your daughter's place on a on a sports team was taken away by a guy or when she finished second or third behind a guy in that same kind of competition and you knew it was wrong and you knew someone should speak up and say something But you didn't. Kept quiet. Didn't want to rock the boat. You didn't want the conflict. When they told you that you couldn't pray, did you obey? Did you say, well, you know, are you the public school teacher and you know what you're teaching is wrong? But, you know, you need this job. Should I continue? Maybe it's some of you who are the Republican politician who sits there in the back room with the rest of your caucus as they plan out how they're going to screw us. And you just, you just, you just grew tired of 
being the oddball of the scorn. So this time you just kept your mouth shut or you went along with it. I think, I don't know, I, I can't speak for the rest of you, but I think we've kept our mouths shut long enough. If you're getting into the real estate market here this spring or summer, you need to check out realestateagentsitrust.com, a website started by Glenn Beck and some of his associates who were tired of dealing with disappointing real estate agents, folks who talked a good game but then didn't deliver the results when needed to the most. And so they set up a referral system different from the others. Instead of uh, one that was set up to hook up agents with clients, this was done to find clients you uh, an agent that is worthy of, of you and your business if you want to learn more about real estate agents i trust.com if you're looking for an agent that with, has a proven track record of success that knows how to study a market knows how to study the algorithms and the outliers knows how to return a phone call and keep an appointment all right if you're looking for a real estate agent that you can trust you're looking for real estate agents i trust.com that's real estate agents i trust.com We've been silent long enough. You've, you've been silent long enough. It's time to speak up while we still have a voice. Hour two is next. and load this is steve dace the steve dace show happy independence day it is our annual tradition independence day homage here on the steve dace show live and on demand here on the blaze radio tv and podcast 888-933-93 is how you can let us know what you think you can also do so via the stevedace.com inbox steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us that's d-e-a-c-e like us on facebook follow us on twitter at steve dace show todd and aaron are here with me today as always we have a very special guest coming up in just a matter of moments but maybe you have seen what's been happening with gold lately prices are finally starting to reflect today's crazy financial world if you've been thinking about buying gold you're in good company people own gold for many reasons for example central banks governments and investors big and small are running to gold for protection against a falling dollar out of control government spending not to mention good old-fashioned profit. Call Swiss America today at 800-289-2646, which spells 800 by coin. 800-289-2646 for the timeless truth about gold. Experts say now is the time to take action before gold prices hit new highs. And discover what the experts are saying about gold. 1-800-289-2646 or SwissAmerica.com. 800-289-2646. We have a very special guest here this Independence Day, a man who knows a thing or two about what this day means. He is one of our founding fathers, the second president of these United States. Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome John Adams. Adams, sirs, 
I appreciate this opportunity to take the floor. I do understand this gathering. It is precisely what my colleagues and I had in mind, what we dreamed of, why we abandoned our homeland, our England, and why we abandoned our King George. I am John Adams. I will become President of the United States. I will become the first of only two presidents whose son will also become president. But I will primarily be known for my work with the Declaration of Independence and the founding of this land. I was disliked by many, considered brutish, pushy, but I always professed my calling to be bold. My attitude has always been, come with me in Christ or get out of my way. <clears throat> I come to this Congress with two proposals for your, <clears throat> excuse me, with two proposals for your consideration, after which I intend to depart and charge you with defining their merit. Proposal number one that the Christian heritage of this land shall be revealed, shared, taught, and stressed to all American children. In other words, the Christian history will be included in the public education. <clears throat> 55 members attended the Constitutional Convention. 52 of those 55 were actively involved in their respective churches. Did you know? The words God and Jesus occur numerous times in the writings of our founders, hundreds of times. Oftentimes a synonym was used, such as Master, Heavenly Father, Divine Provider, Jehovah Jireh. My friend George Washington used 54 different references to our Lord. Did you know? 54. Likewise, a hundred years later, a Mr. Abraham Lincoln will use 49 such references, and a Mr. Robert E. Lee will use 45. Did you know? Thus, the profound significance and impact of Jesus Christ on the history of this land, let alone the profound significance and impact of Jesus Christ on some rather remarkable Americans. One such American, a personal friend of mine, was Mr. Benjamin Franklin. And despite his uh, shortcomings in morality, he too understood God's divine providence here. This is on file from the Constitutional Convention dated June 28, 17 and 87. Franklin was addressing the morning worship, excuse me, uh, the Congress. But how has it happened, sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly appealing to the Father of lights to illuminate our understanding? In the beginning of our contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible to danger, we had daily prayers in this very room for divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable an empire can rise 
without his aid. We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And I firmly believe in this. My friends, that was Benjamin Franklin. That is but one example of the Christian heritage of this land. There are numerous others. <clears throat> Here, Patrick Henry, yes, he said, give me liberty or give me death. But only after, he said, an appeal to arms and to the God of hosts is all that is left. We shall not fight our battles alone. There is a just God who presides over the destinies of nations, and he will raise up friends to fight our battles. Is life so and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery forbid it almighty God and only then give me liberty or give me death did you know the secular historians must have omitted something don't you think Mr. Thomas Jefferson believed that the constitutional freedom of religion is the most inalienable and sacred of all human rights. Mr. George Washington, without an humble imitation of the characteristics of the divine author of our blessed religion, we can never hope to be a happy nation. Mr. Abraham Lincoln, the only assurances of our nation's safety is to lay our foundation in morality and religion. Ladies and gentlemen, I suggest to you the Christian character of this land is not being taught to your children. Furthermore, the historical significance of Jesus Christ on the history of this land like a woolen mitten on frigid fingers has been a perfect fit, allowing God's hand to guide this country to its survival and lead her to her divine destiny. The Bible tells us we shall reap what we sow. My friends, the Christian seeds have already been planted by numerous Christian men and women including philosophers and presidents, generals and gentlemen, patriots and housewives and ministers take care of this Christian land let your children know of the Christian seeds planted by Christian men such as Jefferson Washington such as such as Mr. James Madison another future president such as Mr. John Hancock the very first signer of the Declaration of Independence such as Mr. Noah Webster the prolific thinker and remarkable author of the dictionary found in many of your homes these were Christian men your efforts to teach that Christian heritage will not only be nurturing to all but perhaps eye-opening to self and certainly appreciated by our Heavenly Father. Well, if you will excuse me, the heat here is somewhat reminiscent of the heat I experienced one summer many years ago in the village of Philadelphia. That first proposal sets the foundation for my second most difficult and certainly controversial proposal. 
that our future choices, yours and mine, our future choices, will be guided, guarded, and governed by those Christian principles and ideals set forth in the first proposal. In other words, our Christian choices will be based upon Christian principles, not worldly principles. My friends, tomorrow will bring about numerous challenges, numerous changes, you know that. Why, the devil himself will attempt to erode the foundation of that first proposal by using man's own intellect, own inquisitiveness to tempt and eventually destroy those Christian principles and ideals. If the devil himself were to tamper with our future course of events, can you imagine? For example, what a shame it would be if one day man were to discover how to eliminate a child prior to its birth and the government approved it. What a shame it would be if one day a new type of cannonball was developed, one capable of enormous explosive power, even including clouds of poisonous plagues, and the peoples and the nations accepted their occasional use. And, and what a shame it would be if one day a, a device... Uh, an image box of some sort was capable of sending evil images into our homes. And we not only permitted it, but promoted it so thoroughly and participated in it so thoroughly as to allow its evil tendencies to desensitize our moralities and virtually destroy our family time together. What a shame it would be if one day the love and compassion we have for our neighbors became secluded and isolated behind locked doors, privacy fencing, and hedges. And what a shame it would be if one day a person or group in authority were to decide the family unit is not really defined, a sexual rebellion including same-sex relationships was allowed like smoke to seep under the doors into our log cabins, altering our marriage covenant and the family unit itself and the Christian neighborhood complained in private but remained silent and spineless in their public opposition? What a shame it would be if one day man were to learn to soar like birds in some type of flying apparatus only to turn around and use such a device to inflict harm on their fellow man. What a shame it would be if one day greed and ownership and materialism and corporate wealth became more important than giving, honesty, and helping thy neighbor to cut firewood. 
And lastly, what if our freedom to pray, what if our freedom to worship and pray freely and openly were taken away by our own government? If King George were to arrive on this soil tomorrow and prevent your sons and your daughters and your grandchildren from praying during schooling, well, such unlikely abominations must be repelled. Yes, the devil will use worldly men, but you must use the Christian principles and ideals set forth by my friends and my colleagues, your forefathers, and your founding fathers to dismember such abominations. Thus, my two proposals, I trust you will consider them, absorb any wisdom found therein, and adjust your lives accordingly. Oh, well, now you know why I was disliked by many. Perhaps I have offended you or your neighbor. That was not my intention. But I will not apologize for my Christian heritage. Nor will I stand idly by when I see it being challenged and or ridiculed by future individuals and or events. And lastly, my dear friend, George Washington was constantly found to be in prayer. Did you know? He had been leading our troops against the vastly superior forces of King George. One wintry evening around dusk, a Quaker, ironically a Tory Quaker by the name of Potts, Mr. Isaac Potts, came upon the general. The general was alone at the edge of the wood. Mr. Potts was not seen by the general, but this is what Mr. Potts observed. The general was alone at the edge of the wood. Only his four-legged, trusty, ashen-spotted mount named Nelson stood off his shoulder. It was quiet. It was cold. The general was on his knee, so quiet, only an occasional snort from Nelson nearby colored the chilly, silent air. The general's hands were folded, his stature severe his head was bowed and he was praying picture that on your imaginary canvas picture that General George Washington later that Tory Quaker who observed this wrote about what he saw that evening outside his village at Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, he wrote, if there is anyone on this earth who the Lord will listen to, it is George Washington. 
And I feel a presentiment that under such a commander, there can be no doubt of our eventually establishing our independence and that God in his providence has willed it so. My friends, this country is founded in God. Did you know? Hmm. That is a reenactment of John Adams by an actor from Iowa named Michael Ernst. And he had a ministry where he used to travel around the country doing founding fathers like John Adams, Charles Carroll, and others um, called His Men Revealed. And he gave that performance at the church we used to attend several years ago. And I have played that recording almost every year for our Independence Day show ever since. And every time I hear it, it's as powerful as it was the day I heard it for the first time in person. And the way we seem to be devolving, it grows increasingly more powerful as the years go on. Todd and Aaron, I'm going to get your thoughts on what we just heard from John Adams in a moment. But first, admit it. You think cybercrime is something that happens to other people. You may think that no one wants your data, but uh, there are hackers who think otherwise. And they can grab your passwords, credit card details. You think, yeah, that can't happen to me. Well, you would be wrong. Stealing data from unsuspecting people on public Wi-Fi is one of the simplest and cheapest ways for hackers to make money. To protect yourself from these kinds of cyber criminals, I use ExpressVPN. I'd urge you to do the same thing. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browser by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. It has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer, phone, and tablet. And turning on your ExpressVPN protection only takes one click. Using ExpressVPN, you can safely surf on public Wi-Fi without being snooped on or having your data stolen. And for less than $7 a month, you can get the same ExpressVPN protection that I have. ExpressVPN, the number one VPN service rated by TechRadar, comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months for free at expressvpn.com slash Steve. Find out how you can get three months for free at expressvpn.com slash Steve. Aaron, your thoughts on those words from John Adams. I prepped that yesterday. I got, uh, you know, goosebumps listening to it yesterday. I listened to it today. Still got goosebumps because it is so apropos. This, this meshing of truly a best guess at how... A founding father just transported transporter technology uh, to the future to deliver a message to a group of modern Americans. And he has no idea of how far we've fallen. The, the part that got me in there for some reason this time is imagine, imagine if King George came over here and prevented you guys and your children and your children's children from praying in school you know that's kind of dumb but you know we got to protect our that's about the that's about the most tame of the things we've got going on right now and the way again just from an artistic perspective it's it's outstanding 
but the way you're forced to confront what the founding fathers did, the sacrifices they made, the lives that were lost, to defeat the tyranny that was King George and what we're up against nowadays. And um, I'm sorry. Oh, did you see uh, Mueller's going to be testifying in front? <laughs> exactly. Todd? Well, I was tracking with a lot of that, and then I saw the Betsy Ross flag, and I decided the whole thing was racist. Um, <laughs> I bring that actually up for a point, though, besides the snark. Is John Adams there mentioned at least twice by my count? It could have been more than that. I'm often not liked. Well, join the club. We've got jackets. There's no way around that. Uh, there's There was a very St. Peter and St. Paul here. I stand. I can knew the other about when he would say that. But I have to tell this story. This story must be told because it is good and true and beautiful. And there is no other way. Uh, as I said before, there's ways locally uh, that you can be involved in an individual in any number of respects. Some of them are more organic. Some of them are more planned out. But if you do this right, you won't be liked. I promise you that. It, it's part of it. But part of life is making all the right enemies. I wish you uh, good fortune in that. I wish you all of God's blessings. But the Lord promised you that is how it was going to go. So that's where my promise comes from. It absolutely is experiential. But, uh, I mean, there's all kinds of parts of my uh, private life where it happens all the time. That's why I said if you decide to get involved because of these principles, you will confront that which John Adams talks about. And that's a sign that you are right where you belong. I, I understand why we're hesitant to speak up. And, you know, with what I do for a living, it's, it's been an intriguing balance for my family. We have had people who admire what we do and work in the front offices of Major League Baseball teams, invite our family to come to their stadium on with at no expense and enjoy a game with like the best seats in the park the best food the park has to offer and then we've we've had people that we've been over backwards to get to know and to treat kindly and to like and there's absolutely nothing nothing we can do no no kindness we can show no magnanimity magn we can display that would cause them to treat us with anything other than utter contempt. You know, my kids will tell you that whenever someone they don't know and, and or are meeting for the first time says their last name correctly, pronounces it correctly, because it's obviously spelled Dece, but it's pronounced Dace. Whenever somebody pronounces that correctly, they they brace themselves because you don't instinctively without knowing who I am pronounce that last name correctly. And so they're not sure is this a person who um, thinks my dad's a lot cooler than he really is or 
dislikes my old man a lot more than they really should. Um, I've had I've, I've had activists talking about me in Target as I'm walking there through there with my wife and kids, and my wife found out about it before I did, and overheard them contemplating confronting me and knowing how that was going to go for them if they did that particularly in that setting and so had to suddenly usher me out of the store without me knowing what is going on because she knows what I will do if I do and we've had those kinds of moments and stories frequently I've had friends who just stopped being friends all of a sudden until they need something or they have a candidate that they like and they want me to support and then suddenly we're the best of pals all over again. So I get it. I, I totally get it. I've had several people in recent years come to me with opportunities to do certain things in sports or in other places and then ultimately, they just decided, I mean, even if told me, you're the best person we could hire for the job. But with what you do there, it just, it makes too many enemies. We can't afford it. Or if I was, you know, doing a podcast for Huffington Post and talking about God is gay and there is no gender and drag queen your kids, would any of the same hesitancies likely apply, do you think? Almost certainly not. Almost certainly not. Agreed. So, I, I, I want you to understand, I, I, I get it. And we're not asking you to do anything on this show we haven't been willing to do ourselves. But in the face of evil, silence is taken as either surrender or agreement. The Lord made the heavens and the earth with the power of the spoken word. He sent his son to earth, the word, his words made flesh. There is power. You are made in God's image. There is power in your speaking them and speaking out. That's why they're trying to silence you. Don't let them. This, they, uh, these, these leftists want a civil war. It doesn't have to come to that. And if it does, that's on us. We have all the freedom we need to speak out. All we need is the will. The will. The conviction. Where does that will and conviction come from? Well, one of the places it comes from is knowing your own legacy. What is it you're trying to conserve? What is it you're trying to protect and defend? We started this show with Aaron's reading of the words of the Declaration of Independence. But what do those words, when put together, what do they really mean? Why were they put together the way that they were? We're going to finish this show when we come back the way that we started. 
We're going to look back at the Declaration of Independence, at the way it is structured, at the phrases it uses, and we're going to learn our legacy next. On the Blaze Radio Network. So that the world may know, this is Steve Dace. So one more time, you might be thinking it is time to finally have my family, starting with me, eating healthier. If that's you, check out our friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, and especially their brand new product, Field of Greens. When you turn over that label, it won't say supplement facts because this isn't a supplement. It'll say nutrition facts because it is real food, real USDA certified organic fruits and vegetables, the kinds of whole foods missing from way too many Americans' diets these days, which is one of the reasons why we're taking so many supplements, which is one of the reasons why we have so many food allergies and everything else. Put those prebiotics, those probiotics, those antioxidants, put them back in your system with one scoop of Field of Greens mixed with any water-based drink. Uh, No calories, no sugar, just the real thing. Those whole foods, vegetables, and fruits. If you want to try it today at BrickHouseSteve.com, use my name, Steve, as a promo code, and you will get 15% off at BrickHouseSteve.com. Promo code Steve. So what is this legacy? What's behind the words of the Declaration of Independence that Aaron started off the show with today? Well, the prophet of old once said that my people perish for a lack of knowledge. And today, our stunning lack of knowledge of what we are really celebrating this weekend means that we risk being the generation that could see on our watch liberty perishing in America. Our founding fathers intended this holiday to be about much more than just barbecues and camping trips. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But they intended it to also be a commemoration of American exceptionalism. I want you to consider this excerpt from a letter founding father, John Adams, wrote to his wife, Abigail, on July 3rd, 1776. He wrote, Independence Day will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized by pomp and charade with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other. From this time forward forevermore, you will think me transported with enthusiasm, but I am not. I am well aware of the toil and blood and treasure that it will cost us to maintain this declaration and support and defend these states. Yet through all the gloom, I can see the rays of ravishing light and glory. I can see that the end is more than worth all the means and that posterity will triumph in that day's transaction, even though we should rue it. Even, Even though we should rue it, which I trust in God, we shall not. Nowadays, if your community attempts to take those words of advice from John Adams, literally, you're going to end up in court for violating the uh, so-called separation of church and state. So, So how did we get here? I believe it's because most of us have never truly studied and thus understood 
the words of the Declaration, our founding document. In my view, it's one of the greatest treatises ever written. Given what was at stake in the history that was writing on every syllable, it had to be. It's formatted like a legal document, which is exactly what it was. There is the opening argument, which lays the groundwork for the case that these states should be free and independent, followed by the presenting of evidence that reinforces the case, the long train of abuses, itemized. And then it concludes with the closing argument, with the verdict to be rendered by history. Much of its terminologies and ideas are sadly foreign concepts to those of us worked over by political correctness and statism, but they remain every bit as true and inspired now as they were when the ink first fell from the pen of Thomas Jefferson 243 years ago. It begins when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another. Right away there, Jefferson is letting you know this is a document of separation. Another word for this? Secession. These United States are seceding from the British crown. Jefferson continues, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them. Now Jefferson is making the case that there is a higher law than the laws that bound the colonies to England. And he invokes the highest law of them all in justifying this secession, as in the laws of nature and nature's God. Then Jefferson writes what essentially will become the mission statement of American exceptionalism. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. In a nutshell, Jefferson says this, there is a God, and it's not government. Our rights come from him and not government. Therefore, government's only duty is the protection and preservation of those God-given rights. And a people doesn't have to consent to being governed by a government that is derelict in that God-given duty. Jefferson then enters into evidence 27 grievances, or what he calls repeated injuries and usurpations. This is a list of documented injustices committed by King George III, which are in violation of not just good government, but also the laws of nature and nature's God. In other words, in other words the, gover- the, go- the, the king has violated the social compact. Worth noting is that the abuse of the judiciary is the most named violation, similar to how leftists use the judiciary to usurp the Constitution in our day. Finally, Jefferson notes in his closing, in, in, his, in his closing, this act of secession is not to be taken lightly, but only as a last resort, once the crown made it clear they won't waver from their tyranny. Jefferson writes, quote, we therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are, and of right ought to be, free and independent states. Jefferson concludes by noting, 
The hope of these newly free and independent states comes from a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence and mutually pledging to one another our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honors. Sadly, we are no longer free in independent states. We are all wards of a welfare state. We are no longer a people of honor, but a people of entitlement. We no longer rely upon divine providence, but tolerance of everything other than obedience to the creator in whose image we are made. We no longer model this declaration to the rest of the world, but rather the Hegelian dialectic instead. That's a term I haven't used in a while. Maybe I should bring that back. Brush up on that. In my book, Rules for Patriots, How Conservatives Can Win Again, I cited the results of a poll of Americans who had been elected to public office. This was done by the Intercollegiate Studies Institute a few years ago. The poll found only 49% could identify all three branches of government. These are the people that had been elected to office, folks. Less than half could identify the three branches of government. Only 46% knew Congress, not the president, had the power to declare war. Only 15% knew the phrase separation of church and state never actually appears anywhere in the U.S. Constitution. Only 15% of the people we voted for. Only 57% knew what the Electoral College was. And get this, 20% of the people we voted for actually thought the Electoral College was training was for training those aspiring for higher political office. That aforementioned prophet of old is right. We are perishing for a lack of knowledge. An ignorant people cannot be a self-governing people, which is why we have traded one tyrant an entire ocean away for thousands of tyrants right here at home. When Newt Gingrich was trying to reboot his 2012 presidential candidacy, he took my wife and I out to dinner at Damon's Sports Bar. And why did we go there? He was willing to take to a, ni a lot nicer place because he can afford it. But the wife and I had plans to go see the last Harry Potter flick. And I wasn't breaking those plans for New Gingrich. So I was like, if you want to meet with us, particularly on this short of notice, we're going to a restaurant over by the movie theater. And the one that was right by there was Damon Sports Bar. And so we're sitting there in the restaurant. People are looking at us very funny while he is absolutely destroying a plate of ribs because he noted that his wife doesn't let him eat like that anymore. So when he's away from home, he takes full advantage of it. And we got to talking about decentralizing government among many other topics. And the former House Speaker looked at me and said, Steve, you do a, you do a nationally syndicated radio show every day. Look at your own audience. Audiences like yours are about the best educated in the country. How many people in your own audience do you think if we devolved power away from Washington, D.C. and back to their state and local governments would really, really be able to take up the mantle and govern? And then look at the rest of the general population and ask yourself the exact same question. I rarely have encountered an argument, not that I couldn't win, but that I was willing to admit I couldn't win. <laughs> I've lost plenty of arguments. I'm just not always willing to admit said fact. 
I, I changed the conversation to a different subject after he raised that point. Self-government begins with self. Gentlemen, your thoughts. Well, uh, Thomas Jefferson was chosen to write this declaration uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, he, he was as good a scribe as they had to do something like this. But uh, philosophically, he, he was very much about uh, the people. Uh, first, uh, the anti-elitism, although he, he, every age believes it's in its elites in its own way, but he absolutely believed in uh, the, the, the everyman having their voice. And so that's why this reads as a very uncomplicated document, even though it's deeply philosophical. It's in a way that everybody's meant to understand. Because everybody is meant to understand our birthrights as a people, whether American or not. That's why we were meant to be a shining city on a hill. That's why the shot was meant to be heard around the world. This is the laws of nature and nature's God speaking as profoundly in a civic document as that has ever happened before and perhaps will ever happen again. We're meant to understand this. And because we're meant to understand this, quite simply, we're meant to fight for it. And if we don't, the real Babel is not in some sort of old white man's document from 1776. It's our excuses in this present age and why we won't fight for this and why we will pass on the mass hysteria that, that currently governs us to our children. Shame on us if we do. Hmm. Aaron? Yeah, and, uh, you know, talking about what you what you finished with, self-government begins with self. Well, we talk on this show just incessantly about the need for revival, and I believe not too long ago we were asked if, I think it went like this, if revival will come before or after a civil war. And throughout the course of the show today, I don't think we will have a civil war unless there is revival. Because how would one or how would a country grasp the moral fortitude and have the courage and strength of conviction without revival? And just as self-government starts with self, revival begins with you. Actually, it begins with me. And then you. And then it is a deeply personal thing and that's where we're still at it's um you know it's it's too late to change things legislatively and too early to start uh shooting the guns yet but regardless of whether there will be a civil war or not or whether uh things are too late or too too far gone we need a personal revival first nothing we talk about today can be inherited or passed on without that personal revival. That is what we're most in need of. Not for the sake of making America great again, or for any of the good stuff that America has given her citizens over the course of the last 240-odd-plus years. It is so that we will be right with our maker and grasp, grasp the fact that without him, we would be nothing. That's how this country was founded, 
and that's how it'll, how it'll be passed on for generations we'll have some final thoughts of inspiration for you here in a moment but first one last reminder with the long holiday weekend coming up a lot of you're going to see friends and family you haven't seen in a while barbecuing and are you tired of that one perpetually thin member of your family or, or friend of yours who likes to remind you that they just eat whatever they want do you know that it, they may not be lying to you that actually our bodies was kind of were kind of designed to do that because it's not about do I eat whatever I want it's about do I eat uh how, how much how much do i want to eat that's what it's really about not do i not do i eat whatever i want but how much do i want to eat all right so for some of us um there's this thing that helps our metabolism do the job it's supposed to do uh, and it's called oea and it's a signal that goes from the gut to the brain that kicks the system in to let us know when we're full we don't have to overeat um we don't have all these cravings just a short time a while after we actually just had a meal right um unfortunately for too many of us that signal just isn't as strong as it needs to be particularly as we get older and that's where riduzone comes in they just want to put that oea right back in your system so you too can eat what you would like to eat you just don't have to eat or want to eat more than you need Okay, so if you want to give this a shot, go to RidUZone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E for RidUZone.com. Use my name, Steve, as a promo code. They'll give you a special offer when you go to RidUZone.com. All right, gentlemen, we got about uh, two minutes here. Final thoughts on this Independence Day program. Aaron. Well, these things are always, whether or not America disappears in the next 40, 50, 100 years, these themes, again... I've said this many times, the older I get, the less attached to the America as the hunk of land between two oceans, and the more attached um, I am to the idea of America. That's what, I, that's what America, in a lot of ways, uh, loosely speaking, is supposed to be. It's not this nationalistic fervor that I love my homeland, and my homeland is great because I love it, and I love it because it's great. No, um... No, it's not a hunk of land. It's the ideas that we've talked about today in her founding document, the Declaration of Independence. Todd? Uh, at Mass uh, this Sunday, I got uh, unexpectedly uh, choked up. A tear came down my cheek. I said, what's going on? And uh, the hymn we were singing uh, uh, during uh, communion uh, procession was uh, called uh, Make Your Home in Me. And my uh, next, my wife was next to me, and my youngest, my nine year old Elise, was singing it. And it just the words and the sound of her voice. It just it, in a moment. I mean, it, it was a a moment of grace. Uh, I apply that moment to what we've been talking about with the Declaration of Independence. Uh, think over this weekend is is it at home in you? Does it matter to you? Is it simply lip service that it matters to you? If it, because if it's at home in you, it can't be. Uh, it can't simply be lip service. There's always times to fight in every age, in every generation. It's that simple. So fight. We're not fighting for a country. We're fighting for a country that was founded on a creed, as G.K. Chesterton noted. And there's a big difference. One's worth dying for. The other isn't. Have a great weekend. John three seventeen.
This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.